expressed on this program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and not necessarily those of Salem Communications, staff, management, or advertisers. Activist Radio is on the air. You have tuned in to the Mark Harrington Show, sponsored by Created Equal. Mark is training a new generation of leaders to take on the culture of death and win. You don't like abortion, don't have one. The only thing that can be said to be objective truth is that there is no objective truth. It does come out in one piece. It comes out in one piece. I would argue that we certainly are not all created equal. And now, here's Mark. Big news coming out of Ohio on the pro-life front. We're going to talk about that today on the Mark Harrington Show. You're a radio activist. Once again, coming to you from our Created Equal Studios. In the heart of it all, that is the state of Ohio. Columbus, Ohio is where we're based. And if you've been following the, you know, all that's been going on regarding abortion uh, since the uh, new Congress has been uh, put into place in Washington, state houses around the country, of course, America has been captivated by all this uh, regarding late-term abortion and infanticide and all that. And we always hear about all the bad news. Well, there's some good news coming out of Ohio, and that is that the Ohio heartbeat bill is being heard once again in the uh, Senate, in the Ohio Senate. SB 23, that is the, uh, the bill number, has now gotten proponent testimony, and yours truly, your radioactivist, was on the ground in the, in, the, in the hearing room this week, and I want to give you a report about that. Uh, you know, we don't hear a lot of good news, uh, but this is good news. So you have, you have on one side states like New York, Vermont, Rhode Island, even Virginia, trying to pass or even passing uh, late-term abortion, allowing the late-term legalization of late-term abortion. On the other hand, you have states like Ohio, Iowa, and others passing heartbeat bills. And then you also have the introduction of these uh, total bans on abortion in states like Idaho, uh, Oklahoma, and so forth. So we don't hear much about what you know the the total bans and the heartbeat bill and that kind of thing. What we hear is a lot of, about the late-term abortion bills that have been passed in New York. So uh, the pro-life movement's responding to the changing. Uh, of the guard, if you will, in Congress and in the state houses around the country, and most importantly, uh, in part, the United States Supreme Court by passing these bills. Whether you're a pro-abortion advocate trying to pass bills that are going to uh, allow abortion in your state if Roe v. Wade were overturned, or if you are a pro-life advocate trying to pass heartbeat bills or total bans on abortion if you live in states um, that might be conducive to doing that in uh, preparation for or in in disregard for Roe v. Wade, if it were overturned, irrespective of that. So, anyway, uh, let's let's jump right in. Uh, the uh, the Senate Bill Twenty Three is the heartbeat bill in Ohio. This is uh, uh, this was introduced. This bill was introduced in two thousand eleven. I was standing on the south steps of the of the state house introducing this with Janet Porter. We're now eight years into this, folks, and it looks like it's going to get done because we don't have John Kasich in the uh, in the governor's mansion anymore. We have Mike DeWine, who's said he's going to sign the bill. So that changes everything. It's been a long time, uh, a lot of work. Uh, the legislature has changed dramatically since 2011. Uh, by the way, just so you know, yours truly, your radio activist, 
uh, with others, uh, helped to introduce the first total ban on abortion in America, in the state of Ohio, in 2006. Uh, so this notion that we are not for the total uh, ban of abortion or abolishing abortion is incorrect. We've always been in support of that, along with other measures that will lead us to that final destination. But we want to do both, and we want to support incremental measures that make sense on the way to banning it altogether. So we support both types. But anyway, there have been arguments against the heartbeat bill ever since it was introduced. Of course, we hear it from the other side that if you ban abortion, then women are going to have uh, illegal abortions, that kind of thing. You, you know, women are going to, poor women are now going to be destitute and that kind of stuff. We've heard that from the beginning. But what I really want to focus on is a couple of uh, arguments that we hear from the pro-life side, from some anti-abortion activists. Not many, but some. Believe it or not, there are actually people that have, in the past, opposed the heartbeat bill, and even do today. Uh, as it was up until just recently, the Ohio Right to Life was opposed to the heartbeat bill. Although they said they were neutral, they act actively worked to, to make sure the bill didn't pass. But now, they are on board, believe it or not. And we welcome them aboard. And in hopes that they might help us get it done. But now that Right to Life is on board the heartbeat bill, uh, we have opposition from the other side. In other words, so Right to Life felt the heartbeat bill went too far. It, it, you know, it went too far, and in so doing, it would uh, run up against Roe versus Wade, and then uh, the the Supreme Court or the courts are going to strike it down and going to waste all kinds of money, stuff like that. Well. They have changed their tune because of the changing of the complexion of the U.S. Supreme Court, which is great. But now we have people that don't believe that the heartbeat bill doesn't it doesn't go far enough, which I've always agreed with. It doesn't go far enough, but that's not a reason to oppose the bill. And so what I want to do is get into that with you today a little bit. Uh, there are two arguments. First of all, that the heartbeat bill is unenforceable. It's unenforceable. Uh, the idea that an abortion doctor is, is going to take an ultrasound to detect a heartbeat of a preborn baby for a woman who wants to kill her baby in an abortion mill, leaving it up to the abortion doctor, the murderer, if you will, you know, the guy that's being paid to kill the baby, right? Uh, leaving it up to them uh, is ridiculous because they're just not going to detect a heartbeat and then go ahead and kill the baby. That's the argument we hear from uh, some and very few on the pro-life side or anti-abortion side, uh, that they won't detect a heartbeat and that the abortionists will continue on with abortion. So I, I want to deal with that in, in part because I think it's a legitimate concern. Uh, anytime you pass a law, whether it's on abortion or anything else, you got to worry about or be concerned about the enforcement of the law. Uh, Laws are only as good as they can be enforced. People are going to try to break them, irrespective, right? There's just the way it is, because we're sinners. We're not going to follow the law. People are going to do that, right? Uh, and if you were to pass a ban on abortion at this moment, let's say it happened today in Ohio, guess what? Abortionists are going to break the law and perform illegal abortions. I mean, they just that's what they do. Some of them are going to do that. Some aren't. And so it is with the heartbeat bill. No matter how you phrase it on how they try to get the heartbeat detected, whether uh, vaginally or uh, abdominally, 
if you don't detect a heartbeat, then you can go ahead with abortion. So the argument is that if the heartbeat isn't detected, then the baby won't be protected. So uh, anyway, let's talk about that. Is the heartbeat bill enforceable? And the way I want to go about this is I interviewed former state representative Christina Hagens. She's former, as, as I said, from the District 50 in Ohio. She was a three-time sponsor of the heartbeat bill, has been a champion of life forever. And she was in support of the heartbeat bill, testifying as a private citizen the other day for SB 23. And I, I, I brought this up with her and asked her, is the heartbeat bill enforceable? Go ahead and play that clip. Testimony today, and I'm here with Christina Hagen, who's a former state rep in the House District 50, and she's here to testify today. Uh, Christina, you've been involved in many years with the heartbeat bill. How many times you co-sponsor? Yeah, I was the lead sponsor three times over the last three general assemblies. Okay, so why are you here today? Obviously, my heart's deeply connected to the heartbeat legislation, and we want to be engaged citizens and active supporters of preserving life in our state. And things are a little different now. Why? Uh, completely different climate. I honestly envy the environment my colleagues have to work in on this legislation because we just have a pro-life aura around the state legislature, around the Capitol. We have a governor who's ready and willing to protect babies, and we have a legislature who is ready to pass a bill. So it's Stop, a stop it there, if you would, Mr. Producer. I want to comment on that. Uh, a lot of people think, well, you know, the heartbeat bill is a waste of time. No. Uh, it has changed the environment at the Ohio State House. It took eight years, but you went from a marginally friendly anti-abortion assembly, general assembly, to a predominantly friendly and majority pro-life friendly uh, legislature who now, this heartbeat bill, has 50 House sponsors, House members, 50 of them. Uh, that didn't happen in 2011. It took eight years for it to happen. So the environment has changed. The climate has changed because of the long and hard work of Janet Porter, mainly from Faith to Action, along with others, including Created Equal. Uh, it's a long haul, folks, to change a legislature. And that's what's happened. And now we've changed the, uh, the, the actual uh, governor's office as well. So go ahead and continue on with the clip be here. It's awesome to be here. Let me ask you a couple questions. You've supported the bill a couple times. We hear opposition obviously on the other side and that's typical but there are those who will say well this isn't enforceable because you're allowing the abortionist to do the ultrasound and you know he can just say oh well I don't detect a heartbeat. How do you know? So what do you how do you respond? To that? I'm sure you've heard that before. How do you respond to that? I think that any legislation is better than no legislation. Any level of moral guidance we have in state code is going to be a better chance of saving babies' lives. And obviously, doctors are held to a certain degree of accountability. They can lose their licensure. They can be penalized for this. They can be fined and put into jail. Um, and women can also hold them accountable. If they hear a heartbeat and then an abortion procedure is carried forth <coughs> and the woman knows that that happened, she That's can true. then turn and go after that doctor for ill harm to her child. Okay, Excellent. go ahead and stop it there. Representative Christina Hagan uh, talks about that, the enforceability of the law in saying that the abortion doctors, despite what we think of them, you know, as murderers, which they are, uh, you know, we have a very low view of them, as we should, still care about their licensure. Uh, they don't want to be booted out. They don't want to lose their medical licenses. 
sometimes you wonder whether that's important to them, but apparently it is. Uh, some of them are OBGYN, so they probably do care to a certain degree about this. And so she says that, first of all, they don't want to lose their licensure. They're going to follow the law as much as they can. Now, the other thing is we had a former abortionist, Kathy Altman, Dr. Kathy Altman. She was an abortionist. She testified before the committee as well. And I asked her about that uh, later on in the day after the committee hearings. And I asked her about the enforceability. And she said that the pathology, that is, after the abortion, they go through and they have to determine the fetal age of the baby. And they do that on every abortion. And if the fetal age is 10, 12, 14, 16 weeks, and they perform the abortion, obviously the abortionist was lying because that uh, the, the heartbeat could be detected at that stage. I mean, it's arguable that uh, with an ab abdominal uh, uh, ultrasound, whether the heartbeat can be detected at six weeks or seven, that, that's true. But it should be able to be detected at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, obviously in the, in later in pregnancy. So even if the abdominal ultrasounds only detect 10, 11, 12-week babies, those will be saved by this law uh, because of the pathology and the fact that these, most of these doctors will not want to lose their license. Now, I know a lot of people say, oh, you're still trusting on the – it's true. But, I mean, if, if an abortionist in an abortion clinic is performing lots of abortions all the time, first trimester, early in pregnancy, all the time, and the law is in place, then they're obviously breaking the law. The other thing is women will be able to testify to the fact that their baby had a heartbeat and the abortionist went ahead anyway if that happens. So no law is perfect. This one certainly isn't. Uh, this is a, a concern, and I'm glad it was brought up uh, in the hearing. But just like any law that we pass, there are going to be people that are determined to break the law. That is not a reason to, to not pass it. And in fact, Christina Hagen says it's important that the state of Ohio, in its code, provides some level of moral guidance. And that's that's what this is. So we are on the way with the heartbeat bill. It Once it gets passed, which it should hopefully get passed this General Assembly, maybe early, once it's passed, the moment that happens, we will be pushing hard for the Life at Conception Act, which has yet to be introduced, but yet will be soon, and we'll be getting behind that because we are a both-and organization. We want to end abortion like everybody else. We want it totally abolished. But we understand that there's a process to getting there, and therefore that's why we support some incremental uh, measures. Now, let me just deal with this question of incrementalism. And what I want to do is I'm going to read a quote from Clark Forsyth. He is the uh, president of Americans United for Life. And he talks about prudence. He doesn't use the word incrementalism. He uses the term prudence. What's prudent? What's pragmatic? What's the smart thing to do? And he says this about law generally, and he talks about building fences. Let me, let me just read this. Because we live in a world of constraints, prudence tells us that if we cannot prohibit a social evil entirely, 
we can limit it through appropriate fences, building fences around evil, which is basically what the civil government is commissioned to do, right? You can never abolish an evil by a law. It can't do it. I mean, it can build a fence. It can give moral guidance to the citizenry. But you're never going to zero it out entirely. Why is that? Because evil will still exist. People will still have an abortion. People will do certain things that are illegal just because that's the nature of the human heart. So the idea that you're never you're going to abolish abortion altogether and no one's ever going to have one ever again is is incorrect. Nobody believes that. So all laws are basically building fences around evil. And he goes on to say, uh, building fences around a social evil as part of a larger strategy, get this, to secure justice. So the point of these fences is part of the larger strategy to end legal abortion and decriminalize it again. And he goes on to say, build these uh, a larger strategy to, to secure justice precludes what can be prohibited now without admitting the legitimacy of what remains unprohibited. By limiting the harm done or lessening the negative consequences, we do not admit nor support the rest of the evil that we do not have the power, or legally or politically, to affect right now. So folks that are supporting the heartbeat bill or other incremental uh, 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 ideas in legislatures across America are not responsible for the existing laws that are on the books. They're not responsible, or are they in support, necessarily, of the rest of the evil that exists? They didn't pass those laws. Uh, they weren't involved in Roe v. Wade. Now, if you were in New York and you're passing a late-term abortion bill, that's, uh, that's evil, obviously, but not when you're putting fences around it. That's righteous. That's the right thing to do. And that's what we're doing. We're building fences around evil in the attempt to outlaw it and decriminalize it altogether, realizing we'll never eradicate it entirely. So I hope that puts a little bit of that to rest. I know it's an in-house debate by some, but it's important that we deal with it, the enforceability of laws like this. Uh, these are real concerns for sure. This debate of uh, so-called uh, immediate or total bans or the all-or-nothing team uh, versus, say, a prudential approach or incrementalism is a worthy debate to have in-house. Uh, there will be differences, but hopefully we won't be disagreeable in our differences. And so it shouldn't become about character. We shouldn't be uh, going after people's motives, uh, saying that people want to keep abortion legal because they support prudential measures. Uh, none of that. We can, we can talk about and debate and even attack the ideas without attacking the person. So let me finish today. I want to talk a little bit about Roe v. Wade and the possibilities of that uh, being revisited. Uh, there are several scenarios that people have thought about in regards to what it would look like if the U.S. Supreme Court were to, say, review Roe v. Wade. Say a heartbeat bill makes it to the U.S. Supreme Court, or a total ban on abortion, like the Life of Conception Act in Ohio, God willing, that it will get in, signed into law very soon. What if that makes it the U.S. Supreme Court? What would that look like? There are a couple of ideas of people. Of course, this is all conjecture. 
uh, speculation. We don't know for sure. Nobody does. But there are a couple of uh, uh, ideas that have been tossed out there. Of course, a lot of people believe that Roe v. Wade could be overturned altogether. And if that's the case, say by a 20-week ban that made it to the U.S. Supreme Court or a heartbeat bill or something like that, uh, <clears throat> that would return it back to the state legislatures. Uh, frankly, I think that's unlikely, and here's why. First of all, we don't have the composition of the U.S. Supreme Court that we need. I think you're going to need a supermajority. You may even need seven justices to reverse that kind of a precedent, so I think it's unlikely, especially with John Roberts being the chief justice right now. He's more concerned with stability and keeping uh, the, you know, the court out of controversy than he is necessarily doing the right thing, at least. Now, that could change a lot if, if President Trump were to put up a couple more uh, replacements for sitting U.S. Supreme Court justices. That could change. But I still think we're going to need seven justices to even consider the idea that the U.S. Supreme Court would overturn Roe versus Wade. Another idea that's been uh, or notion that's been put out there is that the viability standard, which used to be the standard the U.S. Supreme Court used to determine as to whether something was constitutional or not, will be tossed out for another standard. And that standard has been, at least in part, has been the undue burden standard that was established by Casey in 1992. But the court could review that standard and, and make it something else. Uh, one thing that uh, might be considered, say, a 20-week or a pain-capable uh, type of standard. I'm not in support of that. Obviously, babies, you know, who are not pain capable should be protected. But the U.S. Supreme Court might revisit that, the, the, the standard to which they say abortion can be banned. And they may move it down a bit to, say, 20 weeks or something like uh, whether the baby can feel pain. They may actually move it to, at some point down to the heartbeat because it can be detected. So that's an option. One of the things that I think is probably, in my opinion, most likely and what I think we're starting to see is the U.S. Supreme Court leaving alone current uh, and future abortion legislation. In other words, they just go silent on the issue. And um, let me read, and I hope I have the time to read this. This is from a book uh, from an abortion advocate. She's going to love the fact that I brought this up during my radio program, but Robin Marty, whom I know personally and have talked to her and actually interviewed her once, she says this, states may pass laws that they want, but don't actually ban abortion completely, and the U.S. Supreme Court lets them. There's also a possibility that the court will simply refuse to hear any laws involving abortion whatsoever, going utterly silent on the issue, because the state and federal judiciaries have been packed with conservative justices. That's her point of view. I don't believe that necessarily, especially since Donald Trump was elected president. States could very easily decide to pass the most restrictive laws, i.e. heartbeat bills, that kind of thing, without passing an outright ban. Again, I don't think that's what the end game, obviously, as long as the federal judges side with them with with them and the u.s supreme court refuses to challenge it so the point is that she believes and i think there's some validity to this that the court could simply go silent on the issue and believe and, instead of overturning it and just let the state legislatures do what they should have done all along leaving roe intact but basically it would have no weight 
in law. So that's that's an option. And one of those things to be considering among many as we move forward with the heartbeat bill. And once the heartbeat bill is signed in Ohio and other places, then we move forward with the Life of Conception Act or total bans on abortion in states like Ohio in order to uh, finish the job. And as we do that, we know they're all going to be challenged by the court. That's not new. We should be prepared for that and fight them in court, of course. And if they don't, uh, we hopefully will find uh, governors, for example, in Ohio, attorney generals like in Ohio and other states that will defy Roe versus Wade directly and say to the federal government, go pound sand. We don't uh, bow the knee. We're not going to bend the knee to Roe versus Wade anymore. We are going to set up a constitutional crisis in which we believe we have the right to outlaw abortion, recriminalize abortion, calling it murder in statute in our state. And we don't believe the federal government has jurisdiction to have any say on that. And I think that's ultimately where we need to go and where we need to be right now. So if the heartbeat bill passes, I'm for defying Roe versus Wade, defying the federal judges when it comes to ruling on this. But we've got to have to find a governor and attorney general that will be willing to do it. So uh, that's my take on things here from the from Columbus, Ohio, the state house here in the heartbeat bill. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. God bless you. God bless America. And remember America to bless God. You've been listening to Mark Harrington, your radio activist. For more information on how to become a witness against the evil, evil plague in America, call Created Equal at 614-269-7808, 614-269-7808, or go online to createdequal.net, createdequal.net. Be sure to tune to The Mark Harrington Show next time for your marching orders in the culture war.